Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking, well, another MLS roundup as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. VAR, because it's evergreen, uh, whether domestic or international. The great John Williams, Panenka's, uh, let's see, UCL. We got Open Cup stuff. We got so much to talk about. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this? Well, we're recording on Monday, September 5th. And for those of us that can watch, you will see that once again, I am on the road. I come to you from our nation's capital here in Washington, D.C., where I am doing some schmoozing with uh, some politicos out here and uh, also here to see the U.S.-Nigeria game. So uh, how you doing, my man? I am doing well. I am in the studio, but all by myself here. So it, it's a bit of an odd sensation, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll get through it. You look good, though, man. You 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 look good in that seat with or without me there. And uh, I'm glad that I'm able to talk to you. I'm glad we able to do this. And we'll have another one later on uh, in the week. As I said, I'll be out here for uh, for a couple of days. We're going to go over to uh, uh, meet some different uh, politicians during the day tomorrow, and then we're going to be in uh, boxes with them watching the U.S. I think probably beat up again against Nigeria as they did. I was out in, in Kansas City uh, a few days ago for that uh, weekend game, the United States versus Nigeria, as the women's team continues to get ready for what is now less than a year away a World Cup and the potential three-peat going on. Have you have you seen anything interesting, Mossy? Uh, last night, I attended a concert at the Hollywood Bowl, which is an incredible venue, by the way. And I saw the great John Williams, who at 90 years of age still delivered. He is the uh, composer who uh, composed some of the most famous uh, movie themes of all time. And he went through all the hits last night at Star Wars, Indiana Jones, E.T. Uh, and it was absolutely delightful. Great night. What a, I mean, what an incredible talent and iconic. And I mean, to be able, and listen, you know, there's the whole thing where, uh, you, you know, you, you sing the uh, Indiana Jones and you sing the Superman and what's the third one? You sing the Star Wars theme and they all kind of sound the same because, I mean, it's from the same human being ultimately. But, I mean, the breadth of uh, just material and timeless type of themes that that man has come up with. And you said in, in his 90s and still kicking it and, and and doing great? Man, I'm jealous. I wish that I was there. I know our uh, producer, Sean, was also jealous that he wasn't uh, wasn't there. So that sounds cool. Uh, so I mentioned that I'm on here in D.C. I flew across the country. Oftentimes, I get an opportunity to maybe see some things that I hadn't seen in the past. Um, 
I saw something called The Last Flight, which is a documentary. I don't know if you remember this, Mossy. A couple of years ago, the CEO of uh, uh, the Nissan car company, um, <laughs> who is uh, he's Lebanese, uh, Brazilian, French, all these different nationalities, he ended up being uh, arrested when he flew into Japan on one of his many trips and charged with not reporting his income and ended up having to escape uh, Japan. And they didn't know where he was. And it goes through this entire process of him getting out of Japan and the cultural differences between the partnership with Renault and the, the French company and uh, the Japanese con country uh, company. I, I recommend it highly. It's, it's just a fascinating look. Uh, again, like the Figo documentary, nobody ends up really looking good in, in this one. And there's still a lot of unanswered questions when it comes to it. But, th but there's a whole lot of intrigue. And the protagonist in this is fascinating. Um, all right. Anything else, my friend? That's it. I really like this candle because we got ourselves a hell of a, well, a past week or a past few days to discuss and a hell of a week in front of us with, with all sorts of things. Where do you want to start? Uh, let's start with MLS. Uh, busy weekend, uh, including a clash between Nashville and Austin that was billed as an MVP showdown between Hani Mukhtar and Sebastian Driussi. And it proved to be all Mukhtar. He scored two late goals. His team won 3-0. Zimmerman got the other. Uh, Hani Mukhtar now up to 21 goals, one more than Driussi. He has the league lead. He also has 11 assists, so he's joined a very exclusive 2010 club, which includes guys like Zlatan and Vela, Jovinko, Valeri. Uh, so for most of the season, we've called Driussi the MVP frontrunner, but a lot of people seem to have flipped on that and now believe uh, Hani is in the lead for that award. Yeah, I mean, look, we know that this is a subjective award, and you can not tell me what my criteria are and I can't tell you what yours are. And, you know, mine I will come out with. And if you haven't followed me for any number of years, uh, it's specific to goal scorers and I have a whole different set of criteria. And I haven't plugged the, <laughs> the numbers in yet to find out where we stand right now. Maybe I will uh, will do that. But notwithstanding that, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that look and say, my goodness, if you take this player off of this team, it's not that Nashville is nothing, but I think Dax McCarty rightly came out and very publicly said, we can't sustain this and this is not even fair. And yet con he continues to do so and to lead this team. And so goes uh, Nashville, as goes Hani uh, Mukhtar. And it's it's fun to see him because, again, this is a player that I think is reveling in not just this moment, but what is what has happened to him coming over to the U.S. and uh, and playing for this team and and leading this team? So it's fun to see, and he's going to get a lot of votes out there. And there'll be others, obviously. <clears throat> Drewsy, we've talked about all year. Even you know, you know, pl uh, players like Gazdag and you know these types of uh, uh, players that are scoring goal um, over in, uh, in in Philadelphia. So, I mean, look, it, it, it's fun. I don't know if he can continue it, and as we all know. That playoff, the playoffs are coming, and sometimes it's a very different situation come those playoff games. But so far, so good when it comes to Hani Mukhtar, and he seems to be enjoying himself. And that's what I, I love about that. It's great to see Paul Carr in Kansas City this weekend, the guy that actually plugs those MVP numbers for you. 
Um, he does. Yes, I get to him <laughs> in the next couple of weeks. I'll, I'll I'll send my text out to him. I do have some Paul Carr uh, nuggets coming up here, but I'll, I'll get my text out to him and he will plug them all in for me. I think he probably has some sort of amazing spreadsheet and he rolls his eyes. But, you know, he humors me each and every each and every year. And in the next couple of weeks, I will give you my criteria so everybody knows what they are. They are, as to be expected. Um, I would guess controversial and not everybody agrees with me when it comes to how I decide what my MLS MVP is. Uh, uh, Red Bulls, you want to go there? Sure. You mentioned Gazdag. He seems to be the third guy in that MVP race with Mukhtar and Driussi, and he found the back of the net uh, this past weekend. Philadelphia continued to roll. They won 2-0 away to the Red Bulls. Uh, so they're on 60 points. They're level with LAFC in the supporters race. They have played one more game. There was an incident in this game involving Drew Yearwood that I know you wanted to talk about. You know, Drew Yearwood playing for the Red Bulls in a moment when it was, uh, you know, the, the I mean, the game was pretty much lost at that point. They knew they were going to go down. And, you know, the ball stopped. He was frustrated. He kicked the ball into the stands. And unfortunately, uh, it found its weight and uh, ended up hitting uh, some of the spectators, including some uh, some young spectators. And from a from an optics perspective, it never looks good. It never looks good for the league, for the team, and certainly for the player in that moment when you have crying kids and irate parents because a player kicked the ball into the stands. And you know, as I said on on Twitter today, this was a obviously an incredibly dumb and uh, reckless and dangerous decision that this player made in the heat of battle and with emotions. And you know, as soon as he kicked it in the stands and he saw what happened, immediately he knew, I screwed up. And this is a bad, bad situation. So much so that he even went into the stands. Now, I don't know if 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 that was the right thing to do, um, but it did show that immediate recognition and that remorse. And he went in there. If if it was my kid and I was a parent, I'd probably be pissed off and maybe even be tempted to take a swing at a player uh, who did that. But I can at least appreciate in that moment that he was he was trying to do the right thing, even though it might not it might not have come off uh, come off like that. He's going to get dinged. He's going to get fined. He's going to get suspended as he should. But in no way does all of that mean that he is a horrible person. Um, or that he meant it. But just because you don't intend to do something and uh, you do something dangerous like that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences uh, to, uh, to your actions. So you never like to see, you never like to see something like that. But on the, you know, on the actual field, I mean, Philadelphia, they just, they just keep rolling and dupe, dupe, dupe and score goals. And they're getting it from all over the place. And um, again, even watching LAFC again this weekend, I think while that Jerusi and uh, Honey uh, Mukhtar thing is going back and forth, I also I also think the the question as to what is the best team in Major League Soccer is going back and forth. And I think there's a lot of people, and I think I would probably cl- include myself at this very moment, that it's the Philadelphia Union. Well, let's do LAFC next. After dropping three in a row, they beat RSL two 0 Neither Bale or Vela started. They both came on in the second half. Vela assisted Arango for the second goal. But there is a bit of a growing sentiment that they've actually played better and more energetically lately without those two guys on the field. So that's a bit of a tricky dynamic for Steve Trundolo to manage. It's it's a very tricky dy- dynamic. I mean, he and when I say he, you know, the uh, the leaders there, including uh, John Thorrington, they have created this type of situation, and it's up to him to figure out a way through it. I mean, Mossy, even when. Uh, 
when Bale came on, he didn't look he didn't look good. Now, from a, a U.S. perspective, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We we don't want him firing on all cylinders when it comes to playing with Wales in that first game in the World Cup. But from an LAE, LAFC perspective and from a Major League Soccer perspective, I don't know if he is just keeping his powder dry and looking towards the World Cup or if he's just done. You know, sometimes what do they say in in uh, in, uh, in baseball? They lost their fastball or something like that. But he does not look like he has yet acclimated to Major League Soccer and to this team in a way that is befitting of the talent that he is or that we all suspected uh, that he was. So that's that's not good coming on this home stretch because, you know, I think it was Stu Holden uh, on our coverage this weekend. You know, he made a point of saying this is when you have to start start kicking. And this is when you have to start feeling it individually and collectively as a team heading into the playoffs with the, you know, for some teams, it's five, six games left in the, in the season. You cannot be, you cannot be going the opposite direction now, because that will be, if you make the playoffs, it will be a very short stay. Uh, let's do the other LA team. The Galaxy involved in a wild one, 2-2 against SKC. Chicharito scored both their goals, including a penalty, but then he had another penalty attempt at the end of the game to win it. He tried a panenka. It went horribly wrong. Goalkeeper didn't move. Chicharito looked ridiculous. It finishes 2-2. What did you make of it? Okay. <laughs> so, look, I, I got a soft, spark, soft spot in my heart for Chicharito. Uh, I've said time and time again that I would much rather mark Chicharito in that I think he's more predictable. But damn if the guy just doesn't score goals. And keep in mind that the moment that everybody is rightfully talking about is the potential to get that hat trick, and more importantly, the potential for three points, literally at the death of the game and a penalty, and he decides to go for the uh, the Panenka. Now, uh, you mentioned my friend uh, my friend Paul Carr, and he just tweeted out just, just a few minutes ago here, the stats when it comes to where you are successful. And just so you know, uh, over the last 10 MLS seasons, around 1,200 sh- uh, penalty shots have been taken. Based on the goal mouth location, and this is from a shooter's perspective, right? 76% have been successful on the left third. 81% have been successful on the right third. And 84% have been successful down the middle third. So if you really look at it, the most successful from a statistical perspective uh, has been down the middle of the goal. And, you know, the problem with the Panenka is, when it goes in the goal, you look great and you run around and you can do it with a cigarette and a coffee. And when it doesn't, like we saw with what happened with Chicharito, obviously you got egg, egg on your face. But, and I, I tweeted this out, by the way, in Spanish this morning, that because someone was saying, this is exactly why Chicharito shouldn't be with the, uh, the men's, uh, the Mexican national team. No, this is exactly why Chicharito should be with the Mexican national team. Because this took balls. This took courage. This took personality. And that's what you want. I'll take it. Listen, I I know from a Galaxy perspective, not only did he miss, but that was a huge three points that they need as they fight their way to to the playoffs. But relative to this person that was saying he shouldn't be on the national team, that's who Chicharito is. And I got you know, he did an interview after the game, and he basically said as much as you know. It, the other day when I did a paneka, it went down the middle, and this time it didn't. Uh, it didn't happen. Now I know there's a lot of people out there that disagree and say, "Listen, you just you pick a side and you hit it as hard as you can." And yeah, you don't look as bad when the goalkeeper saves it when you've picked a side and you've actually hit a quote unquote normal type of uh, normal type of penalty. But maybe I'm a romantic. 
and there was romance in what he did. And there is even a begrudging respect, even when it's a beautiful failure, which is ultimately uh, what this was. And by the way, somebody wants to go to Qatar. You know why? Because Chicharito liked that <laughs> tweet. <laughs> I don't think he's ever seen or, or, or liked, let alone uh, retweeted or not, or not anything like that. So they see and they hear everything, my friend. Yeah, I'm one of those people that's never liked the Panenka. You know, even when it works, I don't think, oh, that's so cool. Look at the confidence under pressure. To me, it's just an odd way to take a penalty. Uh, why are you such a grump? I said that after Zidane in the 2006 World Cup final, after Pirlo against England at Euro 2012. So even when they make it, I just, I'm a believer in pick a corner, strike it hard. And, you know, a quote unquote normal penalty, as you say. Oh my God! Well, I you know I did I I did tweet out "Don't Think Meat," which is uh, one of your favorites. I know uh, Bull Durham, right? That's one of your favorite movies, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So there's a a, a Bull Durham quote. <laughs> uh, what else we got? Dallas beat Minnesota three nil. Jesus Ferreira among the scores. He said afterwards, "We're making it difficult for Cro- Coach Greg to pick his strikers." Uh, that's true. Huh? A lot of uh, American strikers suddenly uh, scoring goals. They are. Um, however, uh, the interview uh, happened last week, I think, with uh, Andrew Wiebe over there at uh, Major League Soccer that Greg Berhalter did relative to the U.S. men's national team strikers. He made it very clear that he is not going to take my advice in the whole survivor and bringing in all the, the strikers and just having them fight it out. So, he, you know, they 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 rattled off six of them. So, you know, I think it's going to be real close when it comes to someone like Brandon Vasquez. Um, but Jesus Ferreira right now, like I said, continues to be the incumbent. All right. He is he is scoring. And by the way, for as much as we talk about his false nine-ish abilities, which I think I'm it's growing on me. I mean, that was a that was a pure striker type of goal that he scored in getting in behind the defense, getting his head on it. And you know, maybe he's more traditional than we give him credit for when it comes uh, when it comes to it. And again, until somebody takes it off Jesus Ferreira, I think that you're looking at the starter for the U.S. men's national team come that Wales game. And Minnesota have dropped their last two. They have now been leapfrogged by Nashville in the standings. Nashville are fourth in the West. Dallas are third. Austin two. LAFC one. So yeah, the loons all of a sudden who had been red hot uh, have now dropped a couple in a row. Uh, Cincinnati beat Charlotte 2-0, so Cincinnati keeping themselves very much in that playoff mix in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I mean, we did a thing uh, on air this weekend about who we thought was going to make it and who wasn't going to make it. I actually have the, the LA Galaxy because of schedule and games in hand, finding a way at the end to uh, to go through. I also have Miami, and I think I have them pipping, um, uh, pipping uh, Cincinnati. But it's again, it's going to go down to the wire here for a lot of these uh, a lot of these teams, which will make it'll make it a fun decision day, not just who gets into the playoffs, but also the jockeying for position when it comes to potentially hosting a game as opposed to going on the road. Uh, Columbus also fighting to reach the playoffs. They were held to a nil nil draw by Chicago, despite out out shooting Chicago 25 to six. But they ran into Gabriel Slonina, who had an absolute blinder, showing the potential that made a club like Chelsea uh, spend money on him. Yeah. And this is where the value of not just a goalkeeper, but this particular goalkeeper, given what is what has happened with his uh, with his, you know, with all the attention, obviously, with the sale and everything like that. This this is why people have such faith and are so positive and optimistic about where he can possibly go, because this is a goalkeeper literally keeping you in the game and ultimately getting you points for for a team that's that's not that good when it comes to Chicago. So on on the good side is. He is 
living up to the hype. On the bad side is, from a Chicago perspective, is you're not going to have that hype there for very much longer. Crazy one in Canada. Toronto raced out to a 2-0 lead over Montreal in the opening seven minutes. Bernadeski and Insigne scored, but then they imploded. They uh, surrendered four uh, goals to Montreal. Insigne pulled one back late, but Montreal takes it 4-3. A terrible result for Toronto. I know they're only four points out of the last playoff spot, but they've played more games than everybody ahead of them, so they have a lot of work to do to try to get in there. Yeah, this one they couldn't afford to do. And and like you said, it started off so bright and everybody's and we were watching it in the uh in the studio. Rob Stone is a is a huge fan of TFC and thinks that they are going to, you know, figure out a way here down the stretch to get in the playoffs, but I think after this game, it, it's it's a bridge too far. And they had it in the palm of their hand and they just they and we know that that this team is real. We're not going to see the best of this team until Bob Bradley gets an off season with all of the new additions. And, and they, you know, there's some come to Jesus moments when it comes to some of the players and what they are ultimately doing here. But you did think that this, that this had a late season run just because of the pure quality. And then they go out in the, in the beginning of a game like this and then just piss, piss it all away. So Bob Bradley can't be happy. Obviously Toronto uh, can't be happy, happy, but again, I don't think we give Montreal enough credit for how good they have been consistently through this year. And they're going to be a hard out when it comes to the uh, playoffs, if they go if they go out at all. The last team above the playoff line in the East right now is New England, who thumped NYCFC 3-0. For NYCFC, that's three straight losses. They've dropped six of their last seven. And I'll tell you, if the season was a little bit longer than it is, I'd be worried about them making the playoffs because they're they're trending in such a wrong direction. The transition from Ronnie Dyla to Nick Cushing has been an absolute disaster. They obviously miss Castellanos. Uh, I mean, I keep talking about it. That team is an absolute mess. Ian Joy is having Twitter meltdowns about it. It's incredible to watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Castellanos thing we've talked about. I mean, there's there's right now it looks like they're going to have their leading goal scorer be somebody that only played half the season, if that. I mean, and that's not that's not a good thing right now. And talk about backing into the playoffs, because I, you know, I still think they're going to make the playoffs. And then they're just expected to turn something on. And, and yeah, we have seen that, but you can't count on it. And this particular NYCFC team, it would be hard for me to back them and put money on an NYCFC team that, again, to your point, just looks like it has lost all concept of how they want to play. And Losing one player, albeit a crucial player, that's not enough. That's not enough to completely, you know what, the bed, uh, especially of late here, leading in the playoffs. The last team above the playoff line in the West is Portland. That's the game we did on Sunday on Big Fox. They beat Atlanta 2-1. They had penalties in each half. Moreno converted in the first half. Asprey in the second half. Joseph pulled one back late. Uh, Portland takes it, though, 2-1, to one, their third straight win. While Atlanta's playoff hopes fading, uh, it's been an interesting time here for you and Gonzalo Pineda, and <laughs> I'm wondering if you have anything more to say about uh, Mr. Pineda. Well, so you know, just a peek behind the curtain here. So we do we do um, team interviews when we are broadcasting a game, and what ends up happening is, well, nowadays it's all Zoom. Uh, we will talk to players that are going to be playing in the game in the upcoming weekend or midweek, whenever it's be. And we also talk to the head coach, and you know, this is this is kind of the tradition of what happens. And so um, I, I had, we did two Atlanta games this past week. And for those who remember, uh, in the midweek game, we talked to Gonzalo Pineda. And then they went out and they lost. 
And I came out and I was very critical of the entire organization, but obviously of Gonzalo Pineda, who is a young, inexperienced coach. And it's not that he's not good. My my bigger point was that this super club that has been sold to us was not living up to that hype. And for a very young, inexperienced coach, that this probably isn't the place for him to learn on the job. There are other teams out there where where it is, but not Atlanta. Atlanta, you need to be formed. And, you know, we talked about this in the uh, the last pod. So we come to do the Atlanta game again in the weekend, and obviously we're meeting again with players and with uh, Gonzalo Pineda. I, unfortunately, was in the air at the uh, at the time that we were meeting for him. But, you know, my, my colleagues, whether it was John Strong or Stu Holden, they certainly addressed what I had said and the criticisms that I had. And, you know, to his credit, and I I said this on air the other day, I got a lot of respect for him in that he owns the record. He owns the lack of success that they have had. Um, But he also pushed back on my assertion that his uh, inexperience and his, um, and his, you know, relatively young age as a head coach for Atlanta United was was a problem. And he talked about the, the years that he has had under Brian Schmetzer. Now, keep in mind, okay, uh, I would disagree in that I think it's completely fair and justifiable for me to bring up and to use the, his lack of experience in his first ever coaching job. He's been given the keys to a super club. And keep in mind that his mentor, uh, the person that, you know, he had all this experience under as an assistant coach, which is very different than a head coach, uh, Brian Schmetzer. The reason why Brian Schmetzer is a legend is because from the moment that he was given the keys to a very big car up there in Seattle, he knew that it was about results. And that is what he has gotten every single year. And by the way, that is why if he survives, it's because he was given the benefit of the doubt of all of that success for a quote unquote big club out there in Seattle. Because as soon as Brian Schmetzer were to have messed up, he was gone. And that's the way big clubs operate. And that was my point, whether it was on air um, or in our in our conversations when it came to uh, Gonzalo uh, as to you know, what his future is. And, you know, again, I got a lot of respect because he acknowledged that he's under pressure, but he also believes in what he is doing. And I hope he, he should be a true believer. If your head coach doesn't believe in what you are doing, then you're then you're screwed. You know, I don't know if he's going to be given more time if they are going to continue with him. And who knows? He might come out of this next year with a healthy team, with an improved team, and obviously with a, another year under his belt as a head coach, even as young as he is uh, and inexperienced as he is, and lead them to uh, to great things. But again, this would not happen and be allowed to continue this type of failure at quote unquote big clubs, either domestically or around the world. And last one. Oh, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, okay. because I'm lumping it on him too. I just want to say this too. Hold on before we go. That Carlos Bocanegra, because it's not all about the coach, the people that are ultimately making the decisions, by the way, on the coach and on the players that are coming in, people like uh, Carlos Bocanegra, absolutely the responsibility and the onus is on them to justify why. Atlanta sits in that position. So again, I know the coach is kind of a much more visible and easy type of target when it comes to this, but there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen over there. And who knows what's going to happen if and when they change, they might just clean house and get rid of that whole kitchen. 
And it's not helping that uh, my boy Luis Araujo has forgotten how to play soccer. I mean, his performances recently have been just an abomination yeah. for a guy that I used to love yeah. watching. But uh, I was going to say, the very last game I want to hit, Seattle did beat Houston 2-1 to keep some faint hopes alive. But as I said, because Portland won, Seattle still six points out of that last playoff spot. So I think most people now are starting to think that this is the year that Seattle is finally going to miss the postseason. All right, Masi, before we before we move on, uh, I want to include you in the debate that we had. And I told you who was going to make the playoffs sitting here right now. Who do you have in and who do you have out when it comes to the East and West Conference? It's a boring answer, I know. But the Eastern Conference, the seven that are above the line now are kind of the seven I, w- I would bet on, uh, which okay. is that's not uh, boring. I, you know, Toronto was a team that I had sort of thought could make things interesting, but man, this result against Montreal was a real killer. So uh, I would kind of keep it the way it is. Um, yeah, you know, in the Western Conference, I, I, I still talking to myself into the Galaxy getting in there, uh, which, um, and at this point, I think Portland would make it. So I guess RSL would be the team, uh, in my way of thinking, that might be in some trouble. But uh, yeah, so that would be the one. I don't think Seattle makes it. I think this is the year they finally miss. Fair enough. Uh, right, we've got, we've got, by the way, wise. we've got, by the way, about a month until decision day. It's October 9th. So we've really hit the home stretch here. Also this week, we have the Open Cup final, Orlando against Sacramento Republic. I know you're going to touch on that uh, later on the podcast. So uh, uh, stick with I us. I will. Yeah. Stick, stick around for that. Stick around for that. Anything else, my friend, when it comes to uh, MLS? That's it. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, oh, let's chat about the rest of the world because there's all sorts of stuff that happened and is happening going forward. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, we're back. Mossy, uh, where do you want to start? Over there in uh, jolly old England? Yep. The big game of the weekend in the Premier League was Manchester United uh, against Arsenal at Old Trafford. Manchester United uh, took it 3-1. to one. It's their fourth straight victory, a, a streak that includes wins over Liverpool and Arsenal now, so they've shot up the table. Arsenal, who had won their first five games of the season, suffer their first defeat. I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I'll let you go first. No, no, no. Listen, you, you, you seem to have a lot of thoughts, and I, don't, I wouldn't want to stand in the way of any more thoughts from you. So go. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Manchester United is, you know, it's, it's industrious. There's a grinding out results quality to it. They're not blowing anybody off the field. But I, I do give Eric Ten Hag credit. He's getting everybody to defend, so they've become a difficult team to break down. And there's enough quality on the field with Ericsson and Fernandez. Um, laying on passes to guys like Rashford and Sancho and now Anthony that they have enough moments of brilliance throughout a game to be able to get a result. So it's a formula that's working for them right now. I do wonder if it's sustainable. I also wonder if the Cristiano Ronaldo situation is sustainable, him basically being a super sub. It's jarring the degree to which he's become an afterthought on that team. Um, but for now, they'll take it given the way the season started. So I think United are on an upswing. I didn't have them in the beginning of the season as a team that would even challenge for top four. And and I've seen enough where I, I at least would say that, that I, I do think they'll be in the top four mix. Oh, okay. You got them back in the top four. All right. Well, that's, I mean, that's, well, that's really good, actually. Um, but it's amazing to me <clears throat> that when we're talking still, even with all the problems that they've had of late, 
what it comes back down to and what really resonates and what really kind of gets people off and excited about Manchester United is literally just working hard. Just just guys fighting and guys showing that they, they quote unquote, care out there. That's what ultimately attracts people and that's what endears you to teams out there, whether it's Manchester United or anybody else. And I know sometimes when you have these, these big clubs with all of this talent and all this money, you know, we think that we think that they that they don't care. But to your point, and I think you hit it on the head, is that sustainable? Because at some point you're going to come up against teams that not only work hard, but are better from a talent a talent perspective. Because this is still not a elite type of Manchester U, uh, Manchester United. And there were moments there <laughs> during that Arsenal game where it could have gone other other ways. I think Arsenal certainly is improved. And I don't think that Arsenal would look at this while it's their first loss and the 3-1 scoreline and look at, if you're Arteta or anybody else, uh, and say, oh, this was this was devastating. This was, uh, this was horrible. Were there mistakes? Yeah. Uh, did they ultimately get beaten? Yes. But this was not getting played off the park by any stretch of the imagination. And I think if Arteta and the Arsenal nation out there looked at their chances going forward next time they play Manchester United or they play them 10 times right now. Uh, they, as they say over there, fancy their chances. I agree with you. Uh, I know there are some Arsenal haters that want to push this narrative that Arsenal were found out and they finally played a good team and they were exposed. But I didn't come away with that feeling. I thought they actually played quite well. The scoreline was harsh. And I still came away from it thinking Arsenal are a very good team. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, I do think, to go back to Manchester United for a second, it's interesting how he's handling the two Brazilian signings. Uh, and when they signed Casemiro, I mentioned that I didn't think he was a Ten Hag player. And you, your retort was, well, they wouldn't have signed him without Ten Hag signing off on it. But, you know, he's taking his sweet time with Casemiro, a guy who was playing at Real Madrid right up until uh, the moment they acquired him. So he arrived in form. He's had several training sessions now. And he's made three substitute appearances, and yet he still has to bide his time behind McTominay, who it must be said played very well in this game. And Ten Hag is trotting out sort of those cliches of, well, Casemiro needs time to adapt to the Premier League and to my system, yada, yada. <laughs> Meanwhile, Anthony, who's his player from Ajax, who he pushed United to sign and pay all this money for, he shows up. And a few days later, I'm not even sure he, he trained much with the team. And by the way, he hadn't played in three weeks because he went on strike at Ajax to force the move. And he goes right into the starting lineup and scores a goal. But it is kind of interesting the way he's handling those two players differently. Yeah, but, you know, the whole point is that they're winning, right? And as long as you're winning, I mean, the reason why sometimes we, we scream and yell about Christian Pulisic over at Chelsea is because we see others that aren't, aren't playing well or the team, Chelsea, is not getting the results, okay? There's nothing you can say when they're winning. Uh, and so... I, you know, I still think that he will have a role to play. Cristiano Ronaldo, I don't know about that. But when it comes to Casemiro, I think he'll, he'll still have a role to play. Last note on this game, which will segue nicely into Chelsea-West Ham. I did not have any issue with Arsenal's disallowed goal. I know everybody was so triggered by some of the VAR stuff that occurred on Saturday that they went into that United-Arsenal game ready to jump on any VAR decision and lump that into the larger narrative about VAR being a disaster. But I'm sorry, that to me was a clear-cut foul. And look, I'm Brazilian. I was thrilled Martinelli scored. I was disappointed it got chalked off. But you got to call a spade a spade. That was a foul by Odegaard on, on Ericsson. VAR did its job on that play. I didn't have any issue with that. I did have an issue with some of the VAR stuff that occurred on Saturday. So I'm ready to transition to that if you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's do that. Let's do that. Uh, so Chelsea came from behind to beat West Ham 
uh, 2-1. Christian Pulisic made his first start of the season. We'll get to that in a second. But a lot of people had an issue with uh, West Ham having a late equalizer chalked off because of a supposed foul. Jared Bowen on Mendy. Uh, I know you and I have talked about how I do think they're overly protective of goalkeepers. They treat them now like punters in football, where if you make any contact with them, it's automatically an infraction. And I don't think it should be that way. This was a player, I'm sorry, Bowen was going for the ball. There was some incidental contact. I did not think this goal should have been chalked off. So for, for once, I did agree with all the English folk complaining about VAR because I thought it made a mess of the situation. Yeah. Okay. But there's there's a difference between, from a subjective perspective, not agreeing that it should have been deemed a violation of the law. Okay. And and literally, they missed a call. It, it, this didn't happen. Okay. So again, this is a subjective thing. And this is this gets into the you know, the the bigger conversation when it comes to what VAR is, and I guess more importantly, what VAR, what VAR isn't. You know, had they not, or had they looked at that and said, yeah, it's fine, we're, we're good. I mean, it would have been strange because as you mentioned, if you just, <laughs> if you softly whisper in the vicinity of a goalkeeper, uh, it can be deemed a foul when it comes to, uh, not just the modern game, it's kind of been the rule for a long time. And, and, Nothing gets me more irritated and frustrated. Not, not that players shouldn't be protected. That's not what I'm saying. But I think, it, I think the pendulum has swung so far when it comes to goalkeepers in particular that you have the right to challenge for balls, okay? Yes, you have to be respectful and you have to be in control and you are responsible for those decisions that you, you make. And certainly there can be consequences you know, to getting there late, um, but the you know 50-50 challenges apply to soccer players. Not, they shouldn't just apply to field players. Anyway, go ahead. I mean, just to hit on them, the, the other VAR decisions that everybody had an issue with, Newcastle had a goal chalked off against Crystal Palace in which one of their players did collide with the Palace goalkeeper, but uh, it was Joe Willock who had been pushed into the Palace goalkeeper. So people felt like that should have negated it being a foul. And yeah, that, that was kind of a dodgy one as well. And then you had the Brighton disallowed goal, Alex McAllister, this incredible strike. But in the buildup, they spotted an offside to another player who had tried an overhead kick in the box. So yeah, it, this was a weekend of a lot of VAR uh, complaining in England. But are you, are you complaining about VAR? Are you just complaining about calls? Because you know the, the, the question ultimately becomes, well, has VAR gone too far? Are we using VAR too much? And that gets into, you know, a whole different protocol and what you're, what you're going to do. But, you know, if, and, uh, you know, the, uh, the association has come out and not apologized, but I think recognized that they, if they had to do it over again, they would have done things, done things different there. So it's not that VAR can't still get things wrong, but are you of the belief that VAR either has to go away or it has to be curtailed in a way. And, and how do you do that? Because again, you know, that, that train has left the station. And just like we talk about the line for, for offsides, you end up just moving a line. And there will be a point where they say, yeah, but look what happened after this. So no matter where you put it, there's going to be people angry at calls ultimately. I just think the larger issue I have in England is they seem to be trying to find ways to disallow goals. While in MLS, they at least we at least start from the basic premise that goals are good. We like goals. So if there's a goal and it's a close decision, could go either way, you sort of err on the side of letting goals stand. I don't know, that concept in England, they don't seem to grasp that. They, they go through such lengths to try to chalk off goals. 
Well, but that's that that only that's only to a point. I mean, you know, the um, I can't remember which game it was, but the the bicycle that the the uh, that the attacker did, who was in an offside position, that the ball then went through and the defender miscleared it for then an incredible goal that ultimately was chalked off because they went back and looked and said the player was was offside. And, you know, the uh, the guys in the NBC, NBA, uh, NBC studio are freaking out. And Rebecca Lowe is like, why, you know, what are we doing? Why are we taking away beautiful moments of this game? Well, you can say that about anything. But ultimately, it was that one I thought was incredibly clear and obvious as to as to the law that had been broken. But if we're just going to say, well, if there's a really pretty goal, we should just keep it even though the law has been broken. Then what the hell are we doing? We can't, we, I don't think we can do that. No, yeah, anyway. that's, that's a fair point. But yeah, to get back to uh, the Chelsea-West Ham match in itself, as I mentioned, Pulisic made his first start of the season. He uh, was substituted after about 60 minutes. Kind of a so-so performance. You could go either way, depending on whatever your agenda is with him. Um, but it certainly wasn't anything that I think is going to alter the dynamic there. He, he was subbed out when it was nil-nil, and Chelsea scored two goals after he left the field. So that wasn't great. You would have wanted him to goal or assist or something that really could you know, eh, he's force on the field. Uh, you know <laughs> he's on the field i'll take it i'll take it what um, else staying with the american theme uh tottenham beat fulham 2-1 anthony robinson limped off in the first half with an injury which you hope uh, is nothing serious because he's one of those pretty indispensable players for the u.s i mean again if you got wood or whatever you knock on or pray to keep keep doing it because as you mentioned, that particular player in that particular position, I'm not saying he's a world beater, but he's the best that we have right now. And if he goes down, we have nobody that's even close. As a matter of fact, if he goes down, the next person, I guess, would be Serginho Des going over, uh, going over to the left. So we don't know ultimately how long this is going to be. But you know, anybody right now, as we get closer and closer, that we look at as a potential starter, and this isn't even a potential, he's a starter. Yeah. It's it's going to tear me apart and uh, it's it's going to suck. Um, but inevitably, that kind of happens. Um, I, I'm not saying it's happening here, but each each week we'll be holding our breaths when somebody comes off limping or 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 worse. Brentford beat Leeds five two. Jesse Marsh tossed from this game. We know Jesse can be pretty pretty animated <laughs> in the sidelines, and this referee wasn't having it. So, what did you make of that? Well, I mean, look, we've talked about what Jesse Marsh is as a character, as a personality, and as a coach, manager, and he leans into it. And I don't think this was done a la Hoosiers, you know, to rile up and give an opportunity. And to, But I think he was genuinely miffed. He saw a bad call. He saw a pathway back into a game that obviously they were losing and was heading in a bad direction. And he's gonna let he's gonna let people know. And you know, I I love that he wears his emotion on the shoulder. Um, you know, I think now he's going to, as he said a few weeks ago when he was talking about Tuchel, it's very very clear what happens when you get a red card. And so I'm assuming he's not going to be there for uh, the next game as he serves his red card suspension. And I hope it was worth it. I mean, they're, look, they're still in a good position right now in the middle of the table, which is even despite their fast start, even where they are right now, I think is not just acceptable, but commendable when, uh, when it comes to this team. But they're, you know, they're going to have they're going to have ups and downs. I mean, the only one that came out of this game still kind of uh, intact in terms of a reputation and still actually smelling like a rose uh, was Brendan Aronson. 
Uh, before we leave the Premier League, um, Everton, Liverpool, Merseyside Derby finished nil nil, and Manchester City held to a one one draw away to Aston Villa. But Erlen Holland did score their goal, his tenth of the season, which is just preposterous. Norwich beat Coventry three uh, nil. Josh Sargent with a goal and an assist, so he's still rolling over there. It's great. Look, I mean, again, the environment that he is doing it in is very different than the U.S. men's national team. And so I think that this camp is going to be huge, but he's obviously going to be coming in with a newfound confidence because of what is happening. And it's great for him. And, and again, I know we, and I'm, I'm as guilty of this as anyone. I know we, we look at everything in the context of the World Cup when it comes to these players. But the, as we say time and time again, the circus is going to come and then it's going to leave town. And these players are going to be left in certain circumstances and situations. And so regardless of whether he tr- translates this to the national team and plays in the World Cup and does in the World Cup or not, I think he has found a positive environment and place, at least for the foreseeable future. And in that, that in, I mean, as much as I love the, the, the World Cup and as much as I love the national team, that in and of itself should, should supersede any type of analysis that we have when it comes to a player. And then we go and we say, all right, well, can he translate this now? And you know, in my expert opinion, a player who is paid and whose job it is to score goals, scoring goals is a good thing. And you're hedging your bets. And so this this camp is going to be huge for uh, for Josh Sargent. All right. So now uh, moving to Scotland, where we had the old firm Derby with Americans prominently involved. Uh, Celtic hammered Rangers 4-0. Carter Vickers started for Celtic, played well. Sands and Tillman started for Rangers. Obviously a day to forget for them. Greg Berhalter attended this match. Doug McIntyre told us recently on one of our shows that Berhalter and the coaching staff would be yep. over in Europe checking out a bunch of games. And then afterwards, I even saw footage of him out to dinner in Glasgow with the three of them. So uh, all three of those guys, I don't think are locks, but if I had to bet right now, I think all three will be in the U.S.'s final 26-player squad. Carter Vickers, Sands, and Tillman. What do you think? Hmm. You think Tillman's there, huh? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think Sands would be the interesting one. Um, you know, I mean, the, I mean, the dinner, I don't, that's, if your national team coach is in town and you are a member of the, the pool, it stands to reason that I would think you're going to go to dinner with them. I mean, that they were all together. I know there was some noise about, oh, you know, fraternizing with the enemy and all that, all that kind of stuff. But I, I got no problem, uh, no problem with that. Yeah, I could, I, I can, I can see them all going. Yeah. Especially with 26 man roster. Uh, Greg Berhalter was on the move this weekend because he also attended the Valencia-Getafe match. We'll transition to Spain. Uh, Valencia mm-hmm. 5-1 winners. Yunus Moose, an outstanding performance, two assists. Remember, in the previous game against Atletico Madrid, he had a wonderful goal chalked off. Uh, so he's now starting to add goals and assists to his game. Uh, the Stu Holden uh, feeling that he's actually the most talented player of this group with the most upside, that's starting to gain some traction. I'm seeing lots of other people on Twitter say that. Yeah, and keep in mind, youngest player on the field, um, in this uh, in this Getafe uh, Valencia game, and he's playing in a position that is directly compatible with what we are going to see with the national team. So I think Stu, I mean, he saw it early. I mean, not that you needed to be a genius to, to see his quality, but the the progress that he has made and his impact, more importantly. Um, with this with this move and where he is playing. And again, 
it may or may not happen with the national team, but this is reason to be very excited about what this player is, and maybe even more importantly, for what he is going to become, either in the next few months and then into the World Cup in 2022, or going on, and maybe a, a bigger move when it comes to within La Liga or someplace else, and then obviously even further on down the line, because he's so young. I mean, think of what he is going to be, and I know we love to extrapolate this out in 2026. So it, it could not have gone any better, I think, for Musa, unless that goal last week had uh, had counted <laughs> that bomb that he that he took that got called back by the horrible, horrible, you know, VAR world in which we live in. Yeah, we, we found out the last few days. Stu Holden is great at analyzing U.S. players. He's not great at signing them. Uh, <laughs> is that too soon? Oh, Jesus. No, no, it's never too soon. <laughs> we love you, Stu. I know you're listening right now. Uh, Barcelona, 3-0 winners away to Sevilla. Uh, Lewandowski continuing his great start to the season. He found the back of the net. He's up to five goals already. Rafinha scored his first for Barcelona and had his second straight uh, great game. I'm excited by how he's uh, getting more and more comfortable there. Um, listen, you might not like the way they did it. You might feel like they mortgaged the future for the present, but I continue to say Barcelona have built a very, very good team. I've really enjoyed watching them so far this season. They've got something going on there for sure. So how good? I think they're going to challenge Real Madrid in La Liga, and I could see them going pretty far in the Champions League, not quite winning it. I don't think they're good enough to win the Champions League. I mean, but it's just, it's back to, it's back to normal, if you will. I mean, not yet. I mean, this isn't the the best Barcelona team that we have seen, but relative to the La Liga uh, standings, and relative to who you think ultimately is going to be there at the end, it's going to be between Real Madrid and Barcelona. Yes. Um, yeah. Sevilla, by the way, uh, they've gotten off to a terrible start. I think Lopetegui is in real trouble. Next up for them is Manchester City in the Champions League. So life doesn't get any easier for him. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> um, and Real Madrid, if we mentioned, they beat Real Betis at the Bernabeu 2-1 to in a top-of-the-table clash. Uh, Real Madrid's goals courtesy of Vinicius and Rodrigo, which obviously made me very happy. Uh, Chuameni had a terrific performance. So that's the other part of the Casemiro story. The fact that Real Madrid haven't missed a beat. Uh, Chuameni has stepped into the starting lineup and played great. And he's going to be a very difficult player to keep out of that France starting lineup in, in the World Cup because he really is a wonderful, wonderful talent. Um, and that segues into Italy and our first story here, which is Paul Pogba. So France are going to have to make do without him at the World Cup. Uh, he had picked up an injury. He would try to rehab it, reached out to no doubt some witch doctor to see if he could fix the injury. Uh, but that didn't work. And so now he is, in fact, going to have surgery. Probably won't be back until January. So Paul Pogba misses the World Cup, which is a shame. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, it's a shame because <laughs> he's a big character. I mean, but if you're Didier Deschamps, yeah, you want him, right? Um, but it, it comes with baggage. <laughs> I mean, no, don't get me wrong, though. France, uh, and this is not a challenge, but they will certainly pick it up. They will find a way <laughs> to, to replace whatever drama <laughs> and stuff that is going on from Paul Bogba. Uh, there's plenty of opportunities for them to uh, to, me to mess this up here. But yeah, I, I want to see Paul Pogba play because especially when it comes to him in a potential second World Cup uh, winning capacity, Eh, kind of sucks that a big player like that is not going to be there. But hopefully his knee will cl will clear, whether it's through modern medicine or not, and uh, he'll be good to go in uh, 2023. Uh, from an American perspective, I hate to say it, but it does probably mean more playing time for Wes and McKinney. McKinney started this past weekend. Juve were away to Fiorentina. It finished 1-1. Um, interesting, Allegri, he, he left Vlahovic on the bench, resting him for the Champions League game against PSG they have coming up. So Milik started instead and did score. 
uh, but Juve were held to a 1-1 draw, and McKinney again was criticized for his performance. There was a play where he was face-to-face with the goalie and inexplicably didn't shoot. Um, and so he, he's actually not in great form to start the season. I know he had an injury, but so that's, that is something to keep an eye on from an American perspective. Yep. Well, if you're not in great form and they're still starting you, that says a little bit. Um, that's true. That only lasts for so long. But the big game in Italy uh, was the Milan derby, which lived up to the billing. It was an absolute thriller. AC Milan beat Inter 3-2. to two. The star of the show was Rafael Leon, two goals and one assist. You know, when we talk about all of Portugal's talent, uh, he's a guy that's that's – on that list now, alongside Cristiano and João Felix, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, Diogo Jota. You've heard me go through the list a million times. João Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, etc. Um, you know, it's despite the fact that Portugal haven't looked that good the last couple of years, it's what makes them such an intriguing team at this World Cup because they have all that talent. And Leon could be a real breakout star. He's a guy who Chelsea were sniffing around for late in the transfer window. And there was some talk about Pulisic being included in that deal and Pulisic maybe going to AC Milan and Leon going the other way. But he stayed at AC Milan and he put on an absolute show this weekend. Trying to predict that uh, that lineup, that Portugal lineup come uh, come November is going to be interesting and fun and difficult. Milan have an excellent French goalkeeper, Mike Mignon, who made some outstanding saves, including one on Chalanola, which was ridiculous. And so there's growing sentiment that he should start over Hugo Lloris. So Didier Deschamps has a lot of interesting lineup decisions to make. It's a good problem to have, I know. But uh, one last thing, uh, Marco Messina of uh, CBS, Paramount Plus, uh, he tweeted excitedly that Milan Inter is the best derby in the world. And some people agreed, oh. others disagreed. You know, this tweet coming on the same weekend when there was a Celtic Rangers. Uh, this upcoming weekend, we have a Boca River. So that's always a fun conversation. Uh, I imagine Sean Sullivan's uh, brain is is turning right now. And he's thinking about maybe having you put together some sort of biggest derbies in the world list to put out on Twitter. No doubt you'll stick like LAFC, LA Galaxy in there and drive everybody crazy. So we can have some fun <laughs> with that. Um, yeah, I'll- that you know who will drive crazy? It'll, it'll drive the Seattle folks up and the Cascadia <laughs> and the Portland folks crazy up there. Oh my um, goodness! Uh, you want to finish uh, up in uh, Germany? Yes. Uh, last match to get to Union Berlin hosted Bayern. Uh, that was the big game in Germany this weekend. And I have to say, Union Berlin passed the test. This was sort of framed yep. as we were going to find out if they were for real. Uh, on the American front, disappointing. Uh, Jordan Pifok picked up a muscle injury late in the week, so he sat out this game. So there was no American angle to it. But nevertheless. Um, Union Berlin played very well, held Bayern to a 1-1 draw. So at least for now, the Bundesliga does have some juice. You know, it's a Bayern are not rolling over everybody as much as I thought they would. Hey, that's a that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And, I, I, you know, I think we talked on the last show and, and uh, we thought that it was going to come good for Bayern after all of the chances that they had missed in the previous game and all of the possession and opportunities. And uh, so that's, yeah, they're for real when it comes to Union. I mean, and when, it's, when I say for real, it just means that they're going to, you know, I think, continue to be up and around the upper echelons of the league. I'm not saying they're winning or even come close to winning. Ultimately, I I think this still plays out the way we all thought it. Right. I referenced the Champions League a couple of times in that segment. Uh, So excited that we now have this second podcast we do later in the week. The UEFA Champions League group stage gets underway, and we're going to tape a podcast later in the week in which we're going to be able to go over all the uh, match day one games. There are some great ones, the Juve PSG, Inter Bayern. Uh, So very excited to have the Champions League group stage Uh, the Champions League proper back in our lives. All right. Well, as you mentioned, lots of uh, good games to watch here when it comes to Champions League. And we will obviously watch them uh, and we will regroup for the uh, second pod of the week and react to all of the action when it comes to Champions League. All right. We'll take another quick break. When we come back, oh, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List. 
your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Okay, we're back. It's time for Ask Alexi. Uh, keep in mind that you use that hashtag out there on all the different social media platforms. And by the way, those media flat platforms all have, you know, the uh, the handles that the kids call them, right? Uh, S-O-T-U with Alexi. S-O-T-U with Alexi. And also, if you're watching, then you would be watching on our YouTube channel uh, out there. And if you want to just call in, uh, 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. All right, we got a couple questions here. Mossy, where do you want to start? First up, at the Coach Parnell asks, thoughts on high school soccer versus club soccer? This is this is near and dear to me, as is as this is the whole college scene. So, you know, as the as the college path as it's not evaporated, but it's become less and less relevant, um, you know, uh, from a traditional perspective where my generation took it. So has high school soccer. And there was a time, you know, I mean, not so long ago with the advent of, you know, the developmental academy and um, club becoming more and more, quote unquote, important, where they even was a time where we were uh, making players pick between playing club and playing high school and not letting them play high school when they were playing club. I think we have, not not in all places, but a lot of places, we have kind of moved on for that and recognized the value. You know, the situation is, it, it depends ultimately what you value from your soccer experience and what you want for either yourself, if I'm talking to you as a high school age soccer player, or if you're a parent or a grandparent or a guardian or whatever of a soccer player, what do you want that boy or girl to have out of their soccer experience? And I guess it would apply to all sports experiences. Because from a competitive standpoint, from a, um, uh, a res uh, you know, resources standpoint in terms of fields, from a coaching standpoint, and from a, I guess, an opportunity standpoint relative to recruiting and connections and pathways, oftentimes club is not far and away, but certainly 
a better option. But the thing is that what club can't do is it can't replicate the unique experience of playing for your high school. And when I say unique, it's unique in the fact that, you know, you are, you are repping a school. You have um, the student body behind you. You are playing with your, not just your classmates, but your friends and many of them who will be involved in your life for years and years to come as your friends and creating all of those experiences and those memories. And that does not come with club soccer. And so, again, if your desire and your goal is ultimately to be a professional soccer player or to use soccer to get into a school and get a a scholarship or get into a better school that you normally wouldn't get into, I completely understand why you are hedging your bets. But this goes back to something that we have talked about here in that, let's be honest, that's a very, very minute, small percentage of players out there that are going to reap that benefit. And at what cost? Those experiences that I'm talking about from a high school perspective, those are invaluable. And it's a very limited and finite amount amount of time that you are able to get that. And so if you forego those, um, or God forbid you, you make a player choose or don't allow a player to have that, you know, what have they given up uh, along the way that might make them better? And it might not ultimately make them better as soccer players, but it might make them better as human beings, which is ultimately what we are producing uh, are, are, are producing here. Now, you may say, well, my high school has a really good soccer program, really good coaching, really good facilities. Well, count yourself lucky because that does not exist everywhere. And one of the reasons why, you know, the best intentions of why these decisions were made sometimes was they didn't want to encourage players to play in adverse and negative types of environments. And I I get it. It comes from a good place. The problem is, again, you're taking away an experience. And time and time again, you will find some very, very good soccer players that when given the choice, or if you just ask them, where are you having more fun? Oftentimes they will come down and say, you know what, I have a whole lot more fun when I'm playing high school soccer than when I'm playing club soccer because of what it gives from a unique perspective. But again, I look at it from a romantic perspective. I look at it from a 52-year-old perspective. The world has changed. Soccer has changed. And those pathways have changed. It hurts me. It makes me sad that high school soccer isn't as big as it once was. But again... I just think just you have to really sit down with either your player or you as a player have to sit down and you have to, you know, you have to come to have a come to Jesus moment with yourself and say, hey, what do I want out of this experience? This might be four years, might be two years, might be three years, whatever it ends up being. And how how valuable are those memories? And so, all right, I'll get off my my soapbox when it comes to uh, high school soccer versus club soccer. And everybody's got to make their decisions. And I don't see it changing anytime soon, unfortunately. But if you are a high school coach, if you are involved in high school soccer, and you are giving those players not just those experiences, but also the quality when it comes to soccer, man, now you're now now you're doing something there. Um, but even if you're not, you're still giving them something 
by giving them the opportunity to have uh, and you're providing that unique experience of playing in high school. All right, Mossy, that was a long answer, but uh, it gets me fired up when I think about this. Question. The Worm Burner Pod asks, which state with no MLS team deserves one? In my opinion, Kentucky, because Louisville City is really good. I think they deserve the step up. <laughs> All right. Well, first off, it, this is, we know that in you know American sports, and certainly when it comes to American soccer, for the most part, uh, these are closed type of systems and these are closed types of leagues. So it's not about who deserves it, right? Um, these are clubs that you pay. And in many cases, you pay a lot of money to be a part of because you believe that it's a good business to be a part of and you want to be a part of it. Uh, deserving it? I don't know. I mean, if I look at it from, let's say, a, from a Major League Soccer perspective, right? If I look at it as to who deserves it, I would look at it from a, a business perspective and I would say, well, what would make our league better to have that team in it? And so then, you know, I would come up with maybe, uh, well, what's probably going to happen anyway is, is a Las Vegas team. I think that makes the overall league and the footprint and, you know, the asset that is the league more, more valuable. You know, you mentioned Louisville. There are markets all across the United States that are soccer markets that have incredible soccer on the field, that have incredible soccer communities, that also, by the way, have incredible soccer history and that are doing their thing, at, regardless of what level, level it is. It could be USL, um, it could be men's, it could be women's, um, it could be affiliated, it could be not affiliated out there. And who am I to say that one market deserves it over another? So if I just come at it from a personal perspective, Detroit, my friend. I mean, I want Michigan, the state that I grew up in, and Detroit, the city that I grew up in, I want them to be a part of Major League Soccer. And they almost were until they shot themselves in the foot. And this is notwithstanding, uh, you know, Detroit City FC. I love Detroit City FC. I'm an owner <laughs> with, a, with a couple thousand people over there of Detroit City FC, and they've done a wonderful job. But I would love for it to be kicked up to a whole nother notch when it comes to Major League Soccer. And that's what Major League Soccer uh, does for, uh, for a market. But again, that's coming from a, a very personal perspective as to uh, as to what I would like to see. And who knows, in the future that, that that may happen. But there's a lot of other ways to get involved. There's a lot of other leagues. I love what, uh, what USL is doing. As I said, men's and women's. We were in Kansas City this week where uh, they're building an, a, uh, a women's venue uh, for uh, you know, right downtown. And you know, that's very, very different than what is happening when it comes to Major League Soccer. Uh, and what NWSL is doing in Kansas City. So there are all sorts of opportunities out there. But again, it's it's not about deserving. Um, and if it is, then you kind of have to give me some criteria out there. It's Is there a lot of people playing? Do a lot of people watch soccer? Do a lot of people into soccer? Well, that doesn't really narrow it down because there are so many wonderful American markets out there that either have been or have become great soccer markets. And would they do great things from an MLS perspective if they had an MLS team there? Most, yeah, not all of them. There's some practical realities and challenges that some have. But ultimately, um, who knows when the expansion is going to stop for Major League Soccer. And I would never want to take away someone's ambition and belief and hope and dream of being part of Major League Soccer and being part of that. Yes, it's a club, but being part of that wonderful club and giving that market a whole new way of enjoying, playing, and, you know, experiencing soccer. Anything else, my friend? 
That is it. All right. Uh, you mentioned my one for the road. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, I'll give you my one for the road. And it has to do with the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my uh, one for the road. Uh, Mossy, U.S. Open Cup final is upon us. What are the, uh, what's the information and details when it comes to that? Uh, the final is Wednesday night at Exploria Stadium, Orlando hosting uh, Sacramento Republic. We're seeking to become the first non-MLS club to win this since the Rochester Rhinos uh, in the late oh, 90s. Oh, my goodness. I remember that. I remember that. It was, you know... What are you, 20 something years ago? Oh my goodness. Um, well, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun to watch for a number of reasons. Mossy, I don't know if you, you knew this, but uh, you know, your uh, your co-host here is a Lamar Hunt US Open Cup winner with the Los Angeles Galaxy many, 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 many years ago, back in, I don't know, 2001-ish or something like that. And even back then, it's it's grown significantly since then, but even back then, it was it was important. It was a chance to raise a trophy. It was a chance to celebrate, you know, a history within the game that oftentimes either is unknown or is just ignored. And a lot of it kind of lives in the U.S. Open Cup. And as I said, it's gotten bigger each and every year. And it can still get bigger. And there can still be things done to make it more relevant, whether it's, you know, more attention, whether it's more money, whether it's more teams. Um, you know, the fact is that, you know, there's also carrots that now have been, you know, placed on these games. You know, for example, as you mentioned, this final on Wednesday between Orlando and Sacramento, an MLS team and a USL team, which actually is good. It's good for the tournament and it is good for both leagues. Uh, there is a carrot of the CONCACAF Champions League. And, you know, the, the reality is that if Sacramento wins, we can have a USL team representing the United States in the CONCACAF Champions League. And that's that's an amazing thing to, to just to contemplate. That's how far USL has come. Um, I think it might be a bridge too far when it comes to Orlando, Orlando uh, hosting. And again, an Orlando team that hasn't had a lot of success and certainly not of of late. Uh, getting the opportunity to also be involved. And it becomes more and more important. We saw how it just ignited this year, uh, and it has in the last couple of years, and certainly with an MLS team in the form of Seattle winning it, how important that is. So there is something on the line. It's not just about it's not just about pride. It's not just about raising that uh, raising that trophy. And it's fun. It is it is a celebration of our American soccer history. And while we oftentimes scream and yell, oftentimes at each other about this and that, one thing that we do and should celebrate is this incredible history that we have. And as I said, it is all kind of channeled into this, this tournament. And it's only going to get bigger. And it's only going to get better. 
and we can use it as an opportunity not just to celebrate the teams that are in it, but this long history of not just the trophy and and this Open Cup, but of America of American soccer. And it is long. And if you take the time to go back and to look at that history, you'll find that it is incredibly vivid and colorful and interesting and has plenty of drama both on and off the field. So please tune in and watch that uh, watch that final. If you are an American soccer fan, you don't have to be a fan of the teams or the league or anything like that, but if you're just an American soccer fan, another piece of American soccer history will be written on Wednesday night. So tune in for that, uh, and that will be... Uh, I think that that'll be fun to uh, fun to watch. Mossy, anything before we go? Uh, two quick things before we say goodbye. Also this week, uh, the second leg of the Copa Libertadores semifinals. Uh, we're headed for our third straight all Brazilian final. It's going to be Flamengo against either Palmeiras or Atlético Paranaense. So that's something else that I'm excited to discuss on our second podcast this week. We'll know what the final is. I'll get you ready for that. And also, I, I should congratulate your wife. That was a nice. Uh, opening win for the Buckeyes, beating Notre Dame. Uh, so uh, <laughs> she was not happy know. for much of that game. <laughs> she was not happy. Well, they got the W. That's a, that's a good win to start the season. So yeah, Michigan is playing an they absolute did. joke of a non-conference schedule. So we're gonna begin the season with a bunch of wins here, but it's not gonna mean anything. So all right. Well, listen, I will have uh, tales to tell you here from. Uh, uh, our nation's capital here in D.C., where I'm doing some appearances uh, on the uh, on the next pod uh, later on this week. And as you mentioned, we'll have a lot to talk about when it comes to uh, what's going on. All right. We'll talk to you again later on this week. And until then, and as always, size the day. 